I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 17 to 22. That's where we'll be today. Uh, which that also means that we are coming to the end of Ephesians chapter 2. So we're making, making progress. So Ephesians 2, verse 17 to 22. And um, I've, we've mentioned this a couple of times uh, as we've been in this chapter, but a, a good summary, I believe, of Ephesians 2 is something like this. We are no longer who we once were. That we are no longer who we once were. That in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us you know, many different contrasts between who we once were and then who we are now by God's grace through faith in Christ. That he begins this chapter with, you know, we, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive together with Christ. That we were slaves to the world, the flesh, and the devil, but God liberated us and raised us up with Christ, and our home is now in heaven. That we once stood condemned before a holy God, but now God has seated us with Christ at God's right hand. That we are now adopted into his family in loving fellowship with full assurance of eternal life. That we who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That we who once were enemies of God because of our sin and because of our rebellion against him and against his word, we have now been reconciled to God through the cross. As we said, saw last week, thereby killing the hostility. See, friends, this is the good news of the gospel, and the Apostle Paul continues to proclaim this good news that through faith in Christ, by God's grace, that we are no longer who we once were. And what you're going to hear in the passage today is that Paul uses two, two images to communicate to us who we are now in Christ, that we've been adopted into God's family and that we're being built into God's temple. And so hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. I'll begin reading Ephesians 2, verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to you in love and for our good. And so we're, we're no longer who we once were. That we've now been adopted into God's family. That's our first heading. Adopted into God's family. We see that in verses 17 to 19. But secondly, we're being built into God's temple. And we see that in verse 20, 21, and 22. So first, adopted into God's family. That in verse 17... Paul first mentions Christ's preaching. So look at verse 17 with me. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and peace to those who were near. So first, we notice that and understand that the he is, is Christ. That Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. But also need to realize that, that Jesus, Jesus never visited Ephesus. That, that Jesus never, he never came and preached to this church. Jesus was never the, the missions weekend preacher for First Pres Ephesus. Okay, so, so how can Paul say that Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off, the, the Ephesian Gentile converts, and he preached peace to those who were near, the Ephesian Jewish converts? Well, Paul's point in verse 17 is that when Paul and the other apostles preached, Jesus preached through them. And this is still true even today. That the risen and exalted Christ still speaks today in, by, and through the Holy Spirit with the Word. Put another way, when the Word is preached now, it's not merely the Word declared by men, but it's the Word propelled and made efficacious by the Spirit of Christ. That every time a pastor faithfully preaches God's word, that every time a Sunday school teacher or women's Bible study leader faithfully teaches God's word, every time parents faithfully lead family worship and devotions and Bible study, and every time a Christian, no matter how young or no matter how mature, faithfully shares the good news of the gospel from the Bible with a friend, a classmate, or a neighbor, every time Jesus preaches today, and by, through the Holy Spirit, with the Word. I mean, so do, do you realize that? I mean, have you ever considered that? And if you have, I mean, how, how often do you think about that? Okay, now think with me about this. How would really believing this transform our time together each and every Sunday? How, how would believing that you were coming into this sanctuary to hear Jesus preach to you by his spirit from his word transform your anticipation and your preparation on Saturday to enter this sanctuary? How, how would that transform and change your expectation and your engagement with God's word each and every Sunday? How would that impact and and change your expectation, your engagement with God's Word throughout the week, in your own personal Bible study, with your families, in your homes, with your roommates, and also at larger group Bible studies. Listen to how Sinclair Ferguson challenges us. We need to recover this New Testament teaching and learn to think of the preaching of the Word of God as an aspect of the ongoing work of Christ as prophet. When hearts and minds are engaged by such preaching, there is a deep consciousness that Christ himself is speaking, indeed preaching his word to us. This, incidentally, is why preachers themselves must sit under the ministry of the word, even while they are themselves preaching it so that they can be preached to as really and powerfully as any of their hearers. And so look again at Ephesians 2 verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and peace to those who were near. Right? Those who were near, God's covenant people, the Jews, do you see they were just in much just as much in need of the peace with God that Christ accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection as those who were far off, the pagan Gentiles were. Do you see that? That that all all need the same Savior, same salvation accomplished by the same Savior. And we learned last week that, that, that Christ not only gives us peace, dispenses peace as a blessing, but that Christ himself is our peace, And that Christ also accomplished peace for us through Calvary's cross, thereby killing the hostility that once existed between sinners like us and our holy God. And the result is that all who were saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus now have access, now have full access to God the Father. And that's where Paul goes next. Look at verse 18. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, so remember, we're still under this first heading that we have been adopted into God's family. We're not who we once were. Now we have been adopted into God's family. And look at at verse 18 and see what, what it says about our access to our heavenly Father. For through him, through Christ, we both, all of us, have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see all three persons of the Trinity there in verse 18? It's the Son and the Spirit and the Father. I hope you realize that that the, the doctrine of the Trinity matters. It's not merely some abstract theological doctrine or or principle, but this is who our God is. I mean, look at verse 18. This is how we are granted access to the Father. I mean, this is how we're adopted into the family. That we're we're adopted into God the Father's family through the redemption accomplished by Jesus the Son in the work of God the Holy Spirit. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now think about that word access. What what kind of access do we have? What kind of access do we have to the Father? Now I want you to think, be honest, in your own mind, in your own heart. How do you functionally live this out? How do you practically live this out? In other words, if you think about your, your life day to day, week to week, month to month, Do you live as if you have full access to the Father? Do you pray as if you have full access to the Father? Or if you're honest, let's be honest, do you live as if it's only partial access? Conditional access. Conditioned upon how you think you're doing. So if you're doing well or doing well enough, access granted. But you can lose it just like that. Whenever you're not doing well, or whenever you've blown it, or yet blown it again. Do you live as if it's partial access or conditional access, or do you live as if it's, it's mediated access through a mere person, like a pastor or a priest? 
You see, last week we, we talked about the dividing wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple, which was broken down through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Well, notice verse 18 goes even further. Further than just breaking down this, this, this wall that kept the Gentiles away from the rest of the temple, that this access in verse 18 through Christ in the Spirit to the Father, it points to how at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat was, and where only the high priest could enter into only once a year to sprinkle the blood of propitiation on the Mercy Seat, how that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple has now been torn in two. And that access is granted, full access through Christ is granted. Listen to what we read in Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. As James Montgomery Boyce explains, it's a reference to the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. And the fact that it was torn in two from top to bottom indicates in as graphic a way as possible that as the result of Christ's death, Sin has been removed as a barrier between man and God. Reconciliation has been achieved, and the way is now open for anyone to approach God if he or she comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his work. Full access if you come through Christ. But you must come through Christ. As he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That no one has access to God the Father except through Christ, but all who trust in Christ have full access through the Son in the Spirit to the Father. And listen to this pastoral word that Sinclair Ferguson says to us. Too ashamed and reluctant to pray, to worship, to draw near to God as we often are. The Father encourages us to come. The Father encourages us to come if we will only come. The Father encourages us to come. He makes it possible for us to appear before him. For he has spared no expense in order to bring us every spiritual blessing. For this access is what Paul earlier meant when he said that we who we're far off, have been brought near. It's made possible only by the blood of Christ. You see, dear Christian, this means that you can go to your heavenly Father in prayer anytime, any place, with any need, with any concern, with any request. And you can have 100% complete assurance that he will hear you, that he will receive you, that he will welcome you, that he will delight to, to do so every single time. See, if only we would believe this and then act upon this truth. I mean, many of us, many of us are familiar with uh, the, the parables that we find in Luke 15. And the one big parable there is the parable of the two sons or the parable of the, of the prodigal son. If only we would believe that God the Father, our Heavenly Father, welcomes us home with the same warm embrace. 
runs to us with the same warm embrace and the same kisses and the same celebration and joy as that father does to his lost son who's coming home. That He's looking for him, and as soon as he sees him, he runs to him as fast as he can, and he hugs him, and he picks him up, and he kisses him, and he says, you know, kill the fattened calf. My son who was dead is alive again. He has come home. We must celebrate. If only we would believe that and then act upon it. I mean, look again at verse 18. For through him, we both, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, we, we can't hear this enough. We can't hear it enough. The famous preacher David Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, The moment you see that you are made righteous by Christ and clothed in his righteousness you can go to God with confidence. He is your father. He is waiting to receive you, and you can pray as you have never prayed before. The way is clear. It's a new and living way that has been opened. You see, that you are not who you once were. That you really have been born again into a new family. You really do have a new family. Look with me at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, no longer who you once were, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That we are no longer who we once were. That we were once strangers. People who really belonged somewhere else, but not with God. That we were once aliens, foreigners to God's kingdom, foreigners to his family. We were outsiders. We were outsiders without any status. We were outsiders to the covenant of the grace, and we didn't belong. But now in Christ, everything has changed. Everything has changed. I mean, look at verse 19. We are no longer, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You now have a new home, and we're not meant to live in this home as if we are merely refugees. Look what it says. We are fellow citizens with the saints. I mean, that's stunning. That's a stunning contrast from aliens and strangers who don't belong to all of a sudden now we are fellow citizens with the saints. I mean, have you, have you, ever, have you ever spoken with a friend who just recently finished all of the requirements to become a, a naturalized U.S. citizen? And seeing the, the joy and the relief and really the, the, the pride on their face and hearing it in their voice, I mean, it's unmistakable. However, what's even more stunning, looking at verse 19, what's even more stunning than our change in status from strangers and aliens to fellow citizens with the saints is that Paul even goes further and says that we are now members of the household of God. That we're now members of the household of God. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we no longer live on a passport, but we really have our birth certificates. That we really do belong. That we've been born again. Born from above. Adopted into God's family. Pastor Ian Hamilton says, when people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are coming home. They're coming home. Now, if you're a new Christian, it may feel still very new. 
And there's so many things perhaps you're learning. That's how it was for me when I was a freshman in college. There was so much I didn't know. But I was finally at home. When people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are coming home. They're coming home for the first time. The church is God's family, his sons and daughters redeemed by the blood of his son. See, by the new birth, by the birth from above, we are born into God's family and immediately become connected in Christ with everyone he has called brethren in the gospel. And so look again at verse 19. So, you, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And don't miss that the household of God is singular. There are many members, but one household. There's only one. There's only one divine family, and you belong to it, dear Christian. And this, this one family of God is made up of Christians from every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, all skin colors, all cultures, all historical barriers throughout all time. See, through the cross of Christ, we are united to Christ and all fellow believers in the one family of God. And so this, this has some direct application for us living in 2022 in, in our current moment. And, and some of this is stuff I said last week, but I'll say it again. This is why you know, racism is a great wickedness. It is a great wickedness that, that cannot, must not, will not be tolerated in the church. But it also says that identity politics are of no value to the church. It also says that expressive individualism should not be a Christian's life philosophy. That we are all members of one family, one divine family. So a couple of application questions for us. If we know this, if we believe it to be true, if we like the way it sounds, we see this is what God's word said. The first question is, do we live like this? I mean, do we live like it in the way that we love one another? Do we live like it in, in the way that we're interested in getting to know one another? You know, one of the reasons why we have our Sunday morning classes is because, yes, we want you to hear good teaching, okay, but we also want you to get to know one another. You need to get to know one another. You need one another. And the same is true for our city groups and our men's and women's Bible studies. This is also why we have all the different retreats that we have. You know, and if you were here at the beginning of the service, I mentioned our all-church retreat this, this August to Mo Ranch. I, if you haven't been, I hope you'll consider coming. And if you've been, you know you need to come back. And so, and part of this is, yes, you benefit from faithful teaching, but you also benefit from getting to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I've been talking about Missions Weekend. It's a special opportunity. Okay, yes, to hear good preaching. Dr. Neil Stewart is a great preacher. Okay, you know, he, he's not as good as Julio, but he's a lot better than I am. Okay, he's a lot better than I am. He's going to be here. Okay, but we, we have Missions Weekend and we bring him in. Yes, so you hear good preaching. You benefit from it. And yes, so you meet some of our ministries and missionaries and learn how to pray better for them. And yes, so that you can serve our neighbors. But also, we want you to keep getting to know each other. Right? And we need more than that. We need a lot more of that. That over the last few years, we've added a lot of new members. 
And as we keep getting back to normal after the pandemic, we need to keep getting to know each other and know each other better. So do we live like we are all members of the one family of God? A second application question is, are we growing in the family resemblance? We have our new father adopted into his family. Are we growing in the family resemblance? As the Holy Spirit enables us to die more and more into sin and to live more and more into righteousness. Are we growing up in the family resemblance as we are conformed more and more into the image of Christ by putting death, putting our sin to death and seeking to obey God's word given to us in love for our good? I mean, l- listen to this, this verse from an old hymn that I think sums up this teaching in Ephesians 2 verses 17 to 19. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth, but I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. I am a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I am a child of the king. See, we are no longer who we once were. We've now been adopted into God's family. Second, we're being built into God's temple. And so look, look back at our text, look at all of verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So Paul is going to go on to say that Christians are being built together into God's holy temple, but he begins with talking about the foundation of the new temple. And of course, he begins, he begins with the beginning, right? He begins with the foundation. And I, I know I don't have to tell you guys who have been living in Houston how important foundations are for buildings, right? I've, I've owned two houses so far in Houston. I hope those are the last two I've ever owned. And, and found, both of them require foundation repairs, right? Foundations are important. You can't just ignore that. So look closely at the beginning of verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, so what is that? What is that foundation? And scholars and pastors, biblical scholars and pastors agree that there are basically two possibilities, and they're different, but they're pretty similar as well. They end up in the same place, but I'll tell you what they are. The two options are, one, that the apostles and prophets either refer to the men who were used by God and carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the whole Bible, The prophets referring to the human authors of the Old Testament, the apostles referring to the human authors of the New Testament, or the apostles and prophets is specifically referring to the small group of men who God used to write the New Testament. But regardless, the point is that the church, which is being built into God's new temple, is built on the very word of God as its foundation. That's what this means. This means our foundation here at CEPC must be the Word of God. And that's what it's been for the past 31 years, and that must never change. And that's why we must always remain committed to the ordinary means of grace, committed to the faithful preaching of God's Word, committed to prayer, to prayer, committed to the, the faithful and the right administration of the sacraments. This is why we seek to pack as much of the Bible as we can into every worship service, that we want to come into this room and sing the Bible and pray the Bible and read the Bible and hear the Bible preached and see the Bible in the sacraments. And this is why we take all of the Bible seriously. 
that we seek to be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God's word, that it is the foundation of the church. Now, you may be thinking, okay, but Richard, isn't Jesus the foundation? And the answer is, yes, that's true. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's where Paul goes next in Ephesians 2. So look at all of Ephesians 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, Christ is the cornerstone. And in the ancient world, a cornerstone was the most important part of the foundation. I mean, the first thing you did in building a new, large, great stone structure like a temple was you laid the cornerstone. You see, the cornerstone was not only part of the foundation, but it also fixed the angles of the building and became the standard from which the architect would trace the walls throughout the entire structure. So Paul's point in verse 20 is that the whole church is built on, the whole church is held together by, and the whole church takes its shape from Jesus, the cornerstone. That Christ is the cornerstone on which everything else depends. This means the church's foundation has already been laid. We don't need a new one. We don't need to consider any new, novel, innovative, or pragmatic foundations. It's already been laid. Christ is our cornerstone. The Word of God is the foundation. And this is why our Westminster standards are so valuable to us. That they keep us between the lines. They keep us anchored to this foundation, the faith which has been delivered for all, once for all delivered to the saints. You see, everything depends on Jesus Christ and the salvation he accomplished with his life, death, and resurrection. And his word makes this clear. And this is very much what the hymn, The Church is One Foundation, summarizes for us when it says, The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is the new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Okay, now let's, let's put all of this together looking at verse 20 through verse 22. Paul says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the cornerstone is Christ. The foundation is the Word of God. Individual Christians are joined together, being built together, into a holy temple in the Lord, but not put together by cement and mortar, but bound together by the Holy Spirit. So put another way, there was a time when the visible reminder that God was with his people was first the tabernacle and then the temple. But now Jesus is building a new temple. First there was the tabernacle, then there was Solomon's temple, then Zerubbabel's temple, and then Herod's temple. But Ephesians 2 is teaching us now there's a new people, a new people, one new humanity recreated in Christ Jesus, the church. In this new people, the church is the new temple. 
that God is now building a new covenant temple, not a physical one in Jerusalem, but an international temple constructed of living stones across the generations. And so John Stott asked the question, what is the purpose of the new temple? In principle, it's the same as the purpose of the old, namely to be a dwelling place of God, that this is where God dwells. He's not tied to holy buildings, but to holy people, to his own new society, to his family, his household. And as I've already mentioned, our church has grown numerically over the past few years. I praise God for that. Growing numerically is a lot better than the opposite. But passages like this remind me that as great as numerical growth is, the growth that matters most, the growth that pleases and honors the Lord the most is growth in holiness. It's growth in faithfulness. It's growth in Christ-likeness. See, what is the purpose of the new temple? To grow into a holy temple. To be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so let let me share one last quote with you, and I, I hope it challenges you and encourages you, brothers and sisters. Sinclair Ferguson says, Christ builds from living stones. Sinners who are resistant material, difficult to shape, reluctant to fit with other living stones, I don't have any of you in mind. Yet Christ continues to build, for he means to come himself by his spirit to dwell among us as his house and temple. He wants to be able to point to the church in the world and say, see, that is what I can do. See my wisdom, power, and love. You see, we are no longer who we once were. That we have now been adopted into God's family and we're being built into God's temple. And that's the church. See, Ephesians 2 is about the church. And so think about everything we've covered today. Right? The household of God. The church is the household of God. It's a holy temple. A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's what Paul thinks about the church. What do you think about the church? How often do you think of the church like this? The household of God. A holy temple, the holy temple of the Lord. A dwelling for the Lord by the Spirit. How often do you think of the church that way? Or do you think of the church, you know, as something that's merely like Lots of other organizations. Lots of other groups maybe you're a part of. Lots of other gatherings. You see, friends, if we understand what Paul's saying here, the church is unlike any other gathering. The the church is unlike any other place. Now, the, 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 the past few months, I have been to some incredible football games. And I would love to relive those with you. Any of you are welcome to come over. We'll we'll watch them again together. But I've been to some incredible football games. And and I've been to some incredible concerts. With stadiums of 80,000 or more people packed inside. All right there, right beside each other. And not because we knew each other. And not because we cared about each other. But because we shared a set of interests. 
in preferences, in tastes. Do you realize that's not what the church is supposed to be? The church is not supposed to be merely a loose association of people living in the same city with a similar set of religious or moral sensibilities, interests, preferences, and tastes. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is the household of God, the family of God. The church is the dwelling place of God, a holy temple. I mean, is that how you think of the church? What if we did? What if we thought of the church that way? If we thought, I believe if we understand the church this way, we are going to love the church. That she will be most precious to us. You see, whenever we understand Ephesians 2, we begin to see what a privilege it is to belong to the church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to have access to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. I mean, what an incredible privilege. What a privilege it is to be adopted into God's household, into his family. What a privilege it is to be a living stone built into the holy temple, the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is the new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Father, may you impress these truths upon our hearts and minds that we would be encouraged that we are not who we once were and may we be encouraged and challenged and comforted we are adopted into your family and that you're building us into your temple and Lord, may we, may we understand this and grasp this, believe it, but may we also live it out. May we begin to act upon these truths. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.